We can be dream makers, nurturing, compassionate. Nosotros podemos ser más unidos. We can be anything. I'm Grant Oliphant. This is We Can Be. Our guest today is Tim Smith, and he is one of those people whose positions and titles only scratch the surface of what he means to Hazelwood, the southern Pittsburgh community bordered by the Monongahela River that he calls home. The story of Hazelwood is a familiar one, a vibrant riverfront town with an industrial past that flourished into the late 1980s when the steel industry bottomed out, leaving longtime residents with a decimated economy. But this story is different, too, and Tim is a big reason why. As CEO of Center of Life and pastor of Keystone Church of Hazelwood, Tim has a daily insight into the struggles, hope, and beauty of those who are determined to keep the soul of their community alive and thriving. I took my two sons to Home Depot to get some blue paint, took it home. And when I opened it up, and it was white at the top. And it was white at the top because we didn't have it shaken. And so I said, look, guys, you know, we didn't have it shaken, but I got these little wooden sticks, and we're going to stir it up. And so you start stirring, you get a little gray, you get a little another little color, and next thing you know, you get that brilliant blue just pops up, you know. That's exactly what happened to me when I went to Hazelwood. If you want to stir up a community, you have to be willing to be stirred by that community first. I'm telling you, Hazelwood has stirred me up in many ways. I mean, things that I thought I was right about, I found I was so wrong. You know, things, my perspective on things, my perspective on poverty, my perspective on illiteracy changed. Changed by sitting at the dinner table with so many of my friends and families in Hazelwood. They taught me, you know. And it was the stuff of life. Grant, it was just the stuff of life, man. My name is Anya, and we are at Voices from Kaylin. I live in Hazelwood. I live in Hazelwood, too. On Fridays, you go to field trips. Wednesdays you go to the spray park and we learn in the morning. My favorite thing about Voices Camp is the teachers because they help me with my anger and they help me when I'm like upset. I like the summer camp. It's a lot of fun. That's it. You have been a friend and a colleague for a lot of years now and occupy a key position in one of Pittsburgh's neighborhoods that seems poised for transition. You started a ministry there. You operate a program in the community called Center of Life where you work with kids and you connect them with the arts. You also do extensive community building. Tell us through your own words, what is it that you do? When I got into Center of Life, I made up these cards And and on the card, it said, if you want to see lives change for the better, you have to be willing to be there when it happens, whatever it takes, however long it takes. And that was just a personal message from me to me. I love the work, 
The hard part is, is realizing that I have to do it. I wish I didn't have to do some of the things that I have to do. Because it's hard? Not because it's hard, because it's not right for people to be in some of the conditions that I see. It's not fair for people to live below or at the poverty level. You know, it's not fair for people to be uneducated. It's not fair for them not to be able to have their own home and, and control their own economy. Mm. So the work that I do, not that I don't want to do it, but the hard part is it has to be done. And that's why I'm still in Hazelwood today. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Amani, and we are at Crunk slash Center of Life. Jimmy Reese. I'm a vocalist here at the at the Crunk Movement. We just had a little jam session. Crunk is a micro-enterprise run through Center of Life. We do shows for the community on Thursdays. Uh, they're free. We do a lot of stuff around the community just to keep Hazelwood booming, I guess. Crunk to me is... It's, it's a way of expressing myself through something that I love to do. Like what Krunk stands for, creating realistic, universal, new school knowledge. It's important that we take the knowledge, we internalize it, we interpret it, and then we make music based off of what we're doing. We try to talk about what's going on in the community and around the world and stuff like that because even though we're artists and we're not exactly political activists, we still want to broadcast what is going on for us, like in our homes and in our community, especially the black community, because if you're not saying anything about it, it's almost like you don't care. I entered the, what I call the University of Hazelwood, and the people uh, have been my professors from the oldest to the youngest. We saw families that, that weren't really put together, you know. The father was separated from the, from the family unit, and most of, most of the head of household were mothers. We saw people who uh, either were undereducated or uneducated. We, had, we saw people who were underemployed or unemployed. We saw people who had never owned a home, ever, been renting all their lives. Seeing those kinds of things told us, you know, these are areas that we need to address. You know, if I have a background in finance, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work with some of these families and I'm going to see if I can help them to understand what it means to manage wealth, to recognize wealth, and then manage it. We started the youth programs, the after-school programs, the academic programs, to get kids help with their homework. Uh, but we particularly started that program, it was called Fusion, to have parents learn how to do the work that their kids are bringing home. Because you probably know as well as I do, the, the homework that my kids brought home was so different from my homework. So I could probably get the right answer, but, but I did it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> So we, we have the academic program, we have the family strengthening programs, we have the music and arts programs, which is just something that I brought with me to Hazelwood because I was, uh, I was also a studio musician when I was a very young, young teenager, and music has always been in my, my background. And we do the athletics as well and community partnerships. 
So this is something that we do all the time. And I always tell people, you know, Center of Life is not a program, but Center of Life is an organization that provides programs. I think of Center of Life as one of those nodes of community that makes the community go. How did you get the idea that a way to help kids in this community was to help them find their creative potential? Well, there's two two main things that happened that, that brought about the jazz and the crunk movement. The jazz piece was my two sons who were toddlers. Uh, by the time they were seven and eight, they were threatening to be musicians. And so I had stopped playing for a long time. Mm-hmm. And when they started threatening to be musicians, I said, I better, I better get on this. And so I started teaching them. As I was teaching them, other kids started coming on. And when, by the time they got into middle school, I was doing after-school programs with them and their friends. And that's kind of how the jazz program started. The crunk movement started because there was a woman who lived in Hazelwood. And she was walking every day with a professor from the University of Pittsburgh Graduate School of Public Health. They came to us and they said, look, we want to we do a partnership with an organization in Hazelwood that will impact life decisions for teens and preteens. They asked the question, what is the single thing that impacts kids' lives the most right now? It was hip-hop, hands down. So it was about taking the technical language of the health industry and creating a youth-friendly uh, hip-hop language that you could impact uh, the lives of kids with. Yo, see, I heard they been talking about stopping us, smelling and popping, they dropping and locking us, always be knocking us, know they been stocking us. What's on my mind? I can tell you a lot of stuff. Well, just know that I've been through a lot of stuff now. I'm so super, I live in Metropolis. Don't be sometimes open what? my eyes, I'm spitting these rest of the blessing. The sauce and it's not enough. She work at hard, but it's not enough. They live in lust, but it's not enough. Not enough. Not enough. You work at shifts and it's not enough. I'm not doing this and it's not enough. And we make it his, but it's not enough. Not enough. There is this national conversation going on at the moment about bringing back steel, uh, which clearly isn't going to happen in Hazelwood. It was known as a mill town. Now, it was the location of a major steel mill. But I am curious, the memory of that is still around in the community. What was it like for you when the mill closed in 1998? People were losing their jobs. Folks had to leave, actually leave the community. People who lived in the community all their lives, they they had to find a job somewhere else, and they had to move out of the community that they grew up in, where they went to school, where they raised their kids. So it was it was kind of devastating for the community. As unhealthy <laughs> as the you know steel mills were, it was a job. It was a place where you could have a career, you could raise your family, and it was gone after that. So your dad worked in the mill, then he opened a church in Hazelwood, is that correct? My dad was 20 years old, and they used to have a thing at the mill, almost like a work-ready thing, but it wasn't necessarily a program. It was guys would go and stand at the gate, and you'd have your, you know, your hard hat and your boots and your little toolbox and your gloves and everything, and if you looked like you were ready to work, you got picked. And so my father did that. And right down at the bottom of Hazelwood Avenue and in 2nd Avenue right there. And he ended up actually running an overhead crane. (laughs) But he did not get into the ministry until he was in his 30s. He started off in the Hill District 
1980 is when he purchased the first Hungarian Lutheran church in Hazelwood. And you followed a very interesting career path. You went off in your youth and became an investment banker, a career path that led you to a whole different level of compensation than your dad could have imagined and certainly was an attractive life for somebody trying to forge his own path. And then you came back and went into the ministry. Why? I had a nephew who was really struggling in school. I really, you know, his mom was a single mom. And I started going over to his school because I wanted to try to help. And I would talk with all of his teachers. And he was starting to straighten out because he knew Uncle Tim was in <laughs> was in the school. <laughs> there was a woman that was at the school, and her name was Miss Hatcher. She had these really long fingernails. And I remember one day she pointed at me and she said, you need to be out here helping these boys. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just like went all through me. It really did. I saw a lot of kids hit the ground. And I saw a lot of, uh, a lot of drugs. I saw a lot of violence. And I uh, also saw you know, a lot of love. I saw the potential for a community to just be a place where, where people could really raise their kids and, and have peace and safety. What was it like for you, though, to feel that calling? Here you were making a good living and the promise of a lot more, and you feel pulled to do something more meaningful with your life. But you also have to explain to your family and your wife about a different future. And I'm just curious how you process that that calling. I, I took a trip to a conference in Memphis, Tennessee, and and there was this guy who was preaching, and his message was about when Jesus walked on the water, and then the disciples were in the boat. So Peter, who was in the boat, Peter said, well, if, if that's you, Lord, tell me to come on the water with you. And so Jesus said, come on, come on the water. So Peter, you know, he, he stepped out of the boat. And he got on the water, and he walked for a little while until he started looking around and realizing he was walking on water, and then he <laughs> sank. Right. <laughs> and then, you know, he got back in the boat. But my point here is, you know, the boat was the bank for me. The boat was my safety net. It was the place where I knew I was going to get paid. I knew I was going to, you know, I knew where my investments were. Coming out of that boat, I knew that I was going to have to look to God every day. And when I went to my wife to talk to her about it, she said to me, I was wondering when you were going to do this. Wow. So and she so knew. She knew. Yeah. She knew. Hey, yo, danger. Girl, you must be mixed. Loose curls, pretty eyes. It just don't make sense. At the time, there weren't many females in Crunk. There were like maybe four of us. And we wanted to do an all-girl song, uplifting black girls especially, because a lot of times we're not the uh, picture of beauty when it comes to the entertainment industry. So we decided to do something simple like Black Girls Rock. Yeah. People visiting that community for the first time might dismiss the people there as not having a lot of potential compared to more thriving neighborhoods. What do we get wrong when we look at neighborhoods like that? 
I think it's one of the biggest mistakes that we can ever make uh, looking at uh, people who have been in underserved communities and thinking that, that they don't have what it takes. Before anybody really paid much attention to the community itself, the people in Hazelwood are the ones who kept the lights on in that community. They're the ones who kept their children safe. They're the ones who kept the community as clean as possible. And, and so we're trying to show everyone how powerful and how smart, you know, and, and how ready the people in the community are to affect change in their own communities. Many of the young people that you work with have been affected by violence. And what's been the effect of the Antoine Rose situation? And, and how does it connect with the work you do with kids every day and giving them an opportunity to express what they feel? This, particularly this Antoine Rose situation that, that was caught on camera, when the young people see it, I notice they get really quiet. They get really quiet and they begin to think. I know the group of young people that we have that we're working with, they are developing a conversation around this Antoine Rose piece. I think deep down inside of all of them is a, a little boy and a little girl that, that's ready to scream. We're not the only ones who know what's going on worldwide when it comes to police brutality. Us making the song was like, okay, we're going to talk about this, we're going to conquer this, we're going to talk about these subjects, you know. It is an everyday music, but it's not. You know, you got Kendrick, J. Cole, and a whole bunch of other artists who are touching on the subject, but where's the youth? Where's, like, where's the young artists talking about it? Fist in the air like the 60s, stuck in the past. They haven't protested my city. How long will it last? They're killing my people on camera. Who's going to police the police? Nobody's protecting the streets. And I hate to ask the question, but. Fox News loves to make a big deal of this. It comes up every time there's a shooting in the black community. It's a subtext in every blue on black shooting that the real problem is in the black community with black people killing black folks. But I'd like you to just debunk the idea that that's a, the, the issue we should be focusing on. Oh, it's definitely not the issue that we should be focusing on because we have to go. You can't skip over the facts to get to the facts. Economic discrimination is not a protected class. You know, a, you know, a black man is a protected class. A, a gay person is a protected class. A woman is a protected class. You know, religion is protected. But economic discrimination is not. Some of these communities have experienced generational economic discrimination and racial so when you experience that over generations and there's no resources, what you find are people who are hungry and starving for some power and control. People want to be able to control their own lives. They don't want to always be controlled. It's not black on black crime that is the problem. It's the, it's the problem that created that problem. It's the problem that caused that problem to manifest itself in our communities. I think that's such an important point for people right. to understand because the other is too easy a distraction right. and forgets the causes right. of that. 
As we think about Hazelwood, you've been a huge advocate for community-centric solutions, solutions that the community helps to create and to figure out. How did you come to believe that a community has the capacity to solve its own problems? I, I came to that by living in the community. My wife and I, we moved into Hazelwood. That did it. I mean, you, you, you met the people. You started learning from the people. You, you eat at their tables. You, you're at the funerals when their loved ones die. You're, you're at their family reunions. You're, you know, you're on the basketball court with them. You're just living life with them. And, I mean, I grew up very, very poor, Grant, but I didn't know it. I didn't know I was poor. My mom and dad never told me I was poor. And the fact that I had a, a really good mom and dad made all the difference in my life. You know, I, I didn't know I was poor until I got until I got in middle school. When, you know, you're in middle school, middle school kids are mean. <laughs> you discover things oh, when yeah, you're man. in middle school. They'll let you know you're poor, man, you know. <laughs> but I've met kids in some of these communities who actually feel their poverty. They can feel it. You don't have to tell them they're poor. They can feel that they're poor. One, two, three. Yay! Political leaders slinging dirt with broad smiles. This brownfield of 178 acres will soon become a glitzy development along the Monongahela River. 2,500 new residences uh, here in the Hazelwood neighborhood, which is great. And really, we're going for that live, work, play environment all in one, one development. But this dream site sits across the railroad tracks from the existing Hazelwood neighborhood. So are those residents on the other side of the tracks included in this dream development? Fifteen years ago, a group of foundations bought the site of the former steel mill in Hazelwood and made a commitment to develop that in a way that would be good for the neighborhood and good for the environment in a way that Pittsburgh had never seen before. The stakes for that feel especially high right now, given that we're seeing gentrification and displacement and kind of mindless development in other areas of the city. And people in Hazelwood are worried about what will happen there. How do you think about that relationship as a key player in the community? Number one, I think it was good that the foundations purchased that land because had they not, I think we would be in a pretty difficult situation with speculators and with investors. It would be open season on our community. Having the foundations do this, uh, there's a relationship between the community and, and some of the foundations. And so it's been very helpful that we are able to communicate what the state of the, of the neighborhood is. Uh, we're able to talk about what the neighborhood wants, what the people in the neighborhood want. The folks that are managing the site right now uh, are people that we know. They're people that we feel like we can trust. You know, they kind of get who we are, and they get what happens in communities like Hazelwood that have been underserved for so many generations. I think this is unprecedented in Pittsburgh. I've never seen a foundation come into a community, buy 178 acres, and then stay. I think, Grant, that we're at a moment in time where we can do something special and something different. 
if we don't, the community is going to lose. So what is the, what's the right thing then? I think the right thing is always open, honest, and transparent conversation. And I think that with respect to development in a community, the community members have to be, in some ways, the blueprint. We have these two windows in our church that are broken pieces that we intentionally didn't fix, and they're sitting in our exhibit there. We didn't fix them because we wanted people to see the mosaic of these broken pieces, and we see those broken pieces as the people of Hazelwood. And we're saying to, whether it's speculators or developers or foundations or corporations or any businesses that are saying they want to come in and do something in Hazelwood, we're saying you can't paint a true and faithful picture of the future of our community without the broken pieces. You have to have the broken pieces. We sometimes assign a narrative to a story or place without really knowing the individuals, the real people whose unfolding lives are creating the tale. Tim has seen the interweaving of these individual lives, both their painful struggles and soaring happiness, into the fabric of a community he clearly loves. He knows the importance of tipping the internal scale of his community's youth toward the good and of making certain that the will of the people is represented as the future of his community is created. Tim is, to use a metaphor of his beloved jazz, the steady, pulsing base of the hopeful, still unfolding story of this American community. Mm -hmm.